I turn on my computer. I go online. Welcome. Welcome. And my breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You got, got mail. What is going on with you? Is it infidelity if you're involved with someone on email? This woman is the most adorable creature I've ever been in contact with. Have you had sex? Of course not. I don't even know it. Mm, I mean cyber sex. No. Well, no, don't do it. Because the minute you do, they lose all respect for you. In a city where everyone's looking for someone, Joe and Kathleen have discovered the best way to meet someone. Hi. Is to never meet at all. We just email. It's really nothing. I don't know his name or what he does. Look, 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 look. Or where he lives exactly. What? He couldn't possibly be the rooftop killer. I'll be back. Joey. We're home. Are you not entertained? My name is Bob. James Bond. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. My name is Nero Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I'm a doctor, not a doorstop. I see dead people. Is this city Alpha 5? This is Retake, a show all about the cinematic arts. And when we say cinematic arts, we're talking about new films, short films, animated films, live action films, comic book films, TV shows, even older films. Really, anything that might catch our attention. And in this episode, oh, wait, 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 logging on to AOL, we're dialing in, we're checking the notification, oh, wait, beeps and boops, and there, there it is, you've got mail. Hi, I'm TJ. Thanks for joining us and checking his AOL email as well. It is Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe? I am doing great, TJ. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> well, of course, having you back. I mean, uh, thank you oh, for having me think, back. You, you kind of held lost down the our fort connection. Oh, we have to start all over again. Oh no! That's the internet for you. All right. Okay. Well, we'll click connect again. Boom. So you kind of you you're, you're actually the one having me back. You kind of held down the fort last week with a movie I dearly want to see, but I just haven't had the time yet. Oh, it's too bad. Well, it's called Retake, so we can we can squeeze in another review of that movie with you next week if you feel like. Uh, no, actually, so uh, I would do that, Joe, except we have some exciting Christmas movies on the list coming up. We have three Christmas movies and then a Christmas present is what we have. We have Home Alone, uh, which I consider to be a Christmas movie. We have Die Hard, which I – until Hans Gruber falls off in Nakatomi Tower, it is not Christmas to me. And you you kind of <laughs> broke our friendship when you said you didn't care for Die Hard, so that's a problem. <laughs> and then we have While You Were Sleeping. That is a family Christmas tradition for the Drapers, and I think you're going to love it. Um, because it is very similar to the film we're going to talk about today, Joe, in mm. a way, at least in some ways. Mm, um, okay. It has the same kind of qualities that I think you will enjoy. I've never seen or I had never seen You've Got Mail, and that's what we're talking about today. And you you made me watch it, Joe. Yes, it's a great way to start the holiday times around Thanksgiving. You watch You've Got Mail, and then you're ready to watch things like The Grinch Stole Christmas. And yes, it's a yes. wonderful life and the holiday. and. Oh, and then I forgot to mention the Christmas present. After while you were sleeping, uh, we will review Rogue One. I'm so excited, Joe. Ah, yeah, I mean, pure Christmas film. If there ever was one. Yeah, well, Christmas present film. That's what I'm calling it. Christmas present <laughs> film. Yes, yes. 
Uh, is that sort of like Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future? <laughs> Christmas future? Uh, well, this would be um, in the past, Joe. This would be Christmas past because it was mm. a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, you see. I'm confused. Which one are you? Uh, well, I'm I'm the galaxy that's far, far away. <laughs> The, should, uh, we, should we uh, should we quit this sidetrack business and get into our review? That's, <laughs> retake is supposed to be getting to the review quicker, right? I, I do <laughs> like the way you began the uh, I was going to say the film. Um, I, I do the, <laughs> like the way you began the podcast. Uh, it takes me back. This film has just a, a very charming, nostalgic way of reminding me what polygons looked like in digital <laughs> animations right at the get-go. Uh, mm. You got to remember these were the, uh, the mid-90s. Um, Apple tech computer is a uh, scene on the desk, but before you get to the computers, before you see the laptops, before you see the interface of AOL, you have um, the world materializing out of polygons in a field of black. And you realize it's just really bad computer renders from the nineties. And then the polygons begin to take shape and then they get colorful and more dimension and lighting and shadows. And Oh, what, what is that? It looks like, you know, uh, Central Park, and this is New York City. It's a it's a pretty clever way to zoom in on the city and create the world for the story. And at the time that that came out, I remember seeing this film with my mom. I guess it was about a year after it came out. It felt pretty slick, <laughs> state of the art. Those graphics were so cool. And I, I wanted to watch the intro just uh, two or three times, the uh, creative nerd that I was. That's interesting. I have things to say about that. But uh, before before we get really to that, I did just want to do our normal routine thing. Like I'm a creature of habit, Joe. So I have to tell you about this film and the technical uh, stats. Yes, yes. yes. What, was, what re- was I thinking? Yeah, I don't know. You were top. jumping the gun. I, but I wasn't going to throw you under the bus. You threw yourself under you the bus. You can edit all this in post. It'll never happen. Oh, it never happened. That's right. Nobody will ever hear this. So it was released on December 18th, 1998, Joe. That was a long time ago. Uh, so it was directed by Nora Ephron, who is no longer with us, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, it had a production budget of $65 million, and it worldwide gross was uh, $250,821,495, uh, according to Box Office Mojo. It has a cast of Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, Greg Kinnear, Parker Posey, Gene Stapleton, uh, Steve Zahn, and Heather Burns. The composer was George Fenton. And Joe, why don't you do us the honors of giving us the simple storyline of this film? Yes. Struggling boutique bookseller Kathleen Kelly, played by Meg Ryan, hates Joe Fox, who's played by Tom Hanks, the owner of a corporate Fox Books chain store that just moved across the street. When they meet online, however, they begin an intense and anonymous internet romance, oblivious to each other's true identity. Eventually, Joe learns that the enchanting woman he's involved with is actually his business rival. He must now struggle to reconcile his real-life dislike for her with the cyber love he's come to feel. <laughs> A little bit cheesy there at the end, but that, that serves the purpose. It gives us the, the feel of this, uh, of this uh, film, I think. Well, the whole film so, uh, is uh, charming and a, a little cheese. It's good. It's healthy. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's a very charming film. There's no doubt about that. But but to your point about the computer graphics, I I did not have the, uh, would you say, advantage of having seen this film uh, a long time ago back in the day. I The first time I saw it was last night, Joe. 
It's the first time I've ever seen it. My wife has actually been trying wow. to get me to watch this film for a while, and for one reason or another, it just never has. I've just never have been able to watch it, or said never had time, or just things that didn't come up, or I wanted to watch something else, or whatever. And it's been my loss. There's no doubt about that. But I didn't have the um, the advantage of seeing these things at the time period that they were meant to be in. And I like all the film except for the opening, which was a little odd. And um, the, it is the, odd. The, the, it was even graphics, odd then. Yeah, it was still interesting then. It made it feel a lot more sophisticated at the get go. <laughs> It felt like an entirely different movie than what we got after that opening. Well, like it, that felt it, like it belonged in Tron or something. Almost, but you got to think like people then when they saw that it didn't. It, it felt otherworldly and also creative, and there was really no reference point besides something like Toy Story or Bugs Life. So it didn't really feel like a, a, a Tron, like you said. It, it does. It does remind me of Tron, but I don't think that there were that many points of reference. So. Most people thought it was just a creative way of representing New York City. Um, I don't think that people really thought of it any other way. I suppose. Uh, my wife watched it with me, uh, of course, because she loves the movie, and she pointed out that we could still see the World Trade Center standing and so the Twin Towers. And <laughs> you know, and More specifically, now that I think about it, obviously it's a way of just representing the cyber world aspect, it, the computer world of New York City. And well, the, this film does capture an interesting time in the online world, and it um, it sort of pokes fun at all of this online dating stuff, but then it doesn't hesitate to poke fun at the Luddites either. And and obviously the uh, the, um, the the Frank, Frank the dude, you know the writer boyfriend, like you know he's yeah. obviously a, a weirdo, and he's <laughs> so it's like this movie's just poking fun at everybody, but it, it's an, it's capturing an interesting time in our online foray as a society uh, in, back in the late '90s, which I. Um, I remember pretty well, uh, we had a computer for a short amount of time. I wasn't really into, we didn't have internet or anything. Um, but, uh, we had like, you know, we had windows 95 and all that and you had to, you had to, it was weird. Anyway, <laughs> it was just a weird time in the way computers worked, but you know, and it was capturing this kind of angst, I think much more. I, I mean, there's certainly still talk of how, if whether computers are good or bad for us and whether being online and connected all the time is good or bad for us, uh, wouldn't be possible for us to do what we do, Joe, without the internet, but that's you – know, either of us, I think, but that's kind of the way it is now. But back at the, in that day, there was concern about, you know, what's it doing to us and is this a thing? And, and then you got the whole online dating thing, which is just nuts and, and you know, they're presenting the best side of themselves to the other in, a, in some ways. Like it's very interesting. It's capturing this, this kind of a, a thing, you know? And you can see why this film represents people – and human relationships is flawed but desirable from the get-go. You can see things about Kathleen and Joe that, you know, reflect things in your own life that you wish were not true, but then other things that you really do appreciate. And you go, yeah, yeah, see, they get it, and they're like me, you know? I feel like I'm one of the people in New York City. So you're rooting for them, and... Even though you know something is not right about this guy with all this wealth and power and sort of a sort of a money grab attitude there for Fox Books, you know that's really like I guess the way that the character of Joe develops over time. It's not really the man he wants to be, but it's the man he has been in the past, and he's going through a metamorphosis that probably started before the beginning of the film. And that's why he's talking to this woman 
by email in the first place. He's looking to figure out who do I want to be now? I, I actually don't think I want to be this guy. I don't want to end up like my dad and my grandfather. Uh, but he's at that point in life. He realizes that and it's just taken him a while to get there. So his reputation precedes him. You know, he's been the guy who in another film, in a prequel, he would have been the flat out bad guy. You know, he would have been the antagonist to the end. But here he's, you know, developing a change of heart. And it's neat to see how Kathleen makes him a better person before he even realizes it's Kathleen he's talking to. And immediately after he gets to know Kathleen in person, it's cool that the film accurately demonstrates that you can do an amazing amount of friendship building by letter writing, but you can only go so far before it really breaks down. You, you got to have real face-to-face -face interaction and they deepen so much when they just know each other at the end of the film that it's, it's you, you know, that, you know, the pretenses have dropped uh, and they're real with each other, even though they had had all these very interesting conversations by email, uh, certainly ones that are far more intriguing and thought provoking than a lot of the conversation people have in just everyday life. That wasn't really meeting the needs they needed as people. And getting to know each other face-to-face -face was meeting a better need for Kathleen and Joe as they got to know each other better in the second half of the film. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, the third act of this film is, is obviously the best part and the most charming. When, when he's, he's discovered, you know, spoiler alert, he, he's discovered for a film in 1998, I think it's okay. Uh, he's discovered, um, you know, who she is because they didn't know each other. You know, they, they, they knew each other in real life, but they, when they were writing online, they didn't know that this was the person that they hated. And when he discovers who she is and then we get move into the third act and, uh, you know, he basically decides he's going to clean up who he is. And she she's she, you know, she has growing to do, too. And it is it's such a, a fun, uh, you know, act of the film. And it, it really ties everything up together neatly. I'm, I'm a real sucker for these sorts of stories. Um, you know, there, there are certain types of, um, you know, they're called chick flicks, whatever you want to call them, romantic dramas. Oh, yeah? Um, we haven't talked about chick flicks all that much, and you're just now telling me you're a sucker for them? Not really. Well, for, for, certain, for certain ones. Like, like there's one that we're going to be reviewing in a couple of weeks while you were sleeping that I really love. Um, and then, of course, there's, uh, I don't know, you wouldn't call it a chick flick necessarily, but it's in the same vein. Um, Joe and, and it, the it Volcano. Deals with, no, no. Bear with me here, Joe. It deals with the same sorts of things and themes, but it is a much deeper subject matter, um, and it's a book by uh, Jane Austen and was made into a movie called Pride and Prejudice. Um, and, uh, really? Yeah, I, I really – well, it was made into a six-part movie. I really, really enjoy uh, Pride and Prejudice, and it deals with these same sorts of themes where both of them have uh, this pride and prejudice they must overcome – and that's – when you think about it, when you boil this story down to its essence, I'd say that the same reasons that I love Pride and Prejudice are present in this movie, which is that she's – you know, when she's talking to Joe, uh, who she doesn't know is the person that she's pen palling with via AOL email, you've got mail, um, you know, then, then uh, you know, she – she she hates him just the way that Elizabeth hates um, Mr. Darcy. 
And it's it's that same sort of thing. And she has to overcome this prejudice and this pride that she has. And he really does, too. You know, and so it's that same at the core. It's the same sort of story. And it just works for me. And I love seeing the transformation, the growing as characters. Um, you know, and I think that um, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks are phenomenal. They have great chemistry together. Um, and I, yeah, I, I'm just such a sucker for these sorts of films. And I, I loved this film from beginning to end. Earlier, I said Joe and the volcano. I meant Joe versus versus the volcano. The volcano. I don't like that film. Okay. Did do you remember that that was Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan? I do. Yes. Uh, they've been first... they've been together for more than one film. Yes, they were together in that film. And they both feel quite young and yeah, they were very young in that. Film. The, their, their performances were fun. I mean, the film is what it is. Yeah. But at the same time, it felt like these two were still maturing a lot of their, their uh, performance quality over the years. And it was nice to see how they improved over the years. So you got Joe versus the volcano and then you have sleepless in Seattle. Right. You've seen that one, right? I have not. Oh dear. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, if you if you're such a big chick flick fan, you got to see. Sleepless I didn't say I was a big chick flick fan. I said there are certain types and there are certain chick flicks that I'm a sucker for. Mm-hmm. You're um, a sucker for chick flicks. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continuing on. Uh, yeah. So obviously not their first film together, but they they obviously have some chemistry, and so directors have continued to put them together a few times. You know what was funny is I. Um, I think maybe Tom Hanks is forever ruined a little bit for me. I kept hearing Woody. <laughs> yes. Every time he would say something or laugh, or especially yes. when he'd get a little excited about something, you know, and then I, I almost hear Woody, you are a toy. <laughs> yes. I, I, yeah, it was a little bit off putting for me at first, but I got over it. That line was actually based on something he said in the movie where he was having trouble with his dog. And he broke down in <laughs> anger and he, he lashed out about the dog. And so then when they were writing Toy Story, they based that that moment where Woody goes berserk on what they liked in that performance with Tom in a previous film. And then he kind of started to do that at one point in this film too, but he just kind of took it in a different direction. When I, when I saw this film, and I guess it was 99, my original interest in this film was that it was Tom Hanks and he was the voice of Woody. Um, I was just 12 years old and that's how I knew him. And I loved the character of Woody. So I wanted to see what the man was like in another film. And it didn't hurt that his name was Joe. Uh, I liked that a lot. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, this film definitely really drew me into the characters and, and it's not the sort of thing where, um, where you don't like one of the characters and you have to get to, to like him in some way or another. Like you, you like them both in different ways and you're like you, – you're rooting for them to kind of get it together, to figure it out. You'd feel like you'd like to know in real life. Sure, absolutely. You wouldn't mind running into Joe at Fox Books and having a conversation with him about the business. And same goes for Kathleen Kelly and you run over to the shop around the corner and she, it's just so charming. And um, yeah, yeah, and, I, and, 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 you know, to, to tell you the truth, I was definitely sad when the shop closed. And, yeah. and let's be honest, if, if you if your eyes aren't a little bit wet in that scene when she is um, she's uh, she has 
closed the shop and she's walked over to the book sh- uh, the, the big Fox bookstore and she's sitting there at the little kid's table and somebody's looking for a kid's book and the the inept uh, employee has no idea where this kid's book is and she she starts with you know quivering voice and and stuff just telling him all this stuff about this book and it's just such it's it's such a uh, there, your eyes should not be dry during that scene <laughs> uh, at least mine weren't so uh yeah, it, it it definitely kind of got you right there, you know, a couple of times. It does, and yeah. then especially yeah. when it cuts to 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 Joe watching, you know, where she can't see that he's there, and he sees that. Oh, man, mm. it gets you. Since uh, you brought up the shop around the corner, I think it's now a good time to give an honorable mention to the movie that this was based on. Uh, oh, yeah, this is a remake, actually, of a nineteen forties film named The Shop Around the Corner. That starred Jimmy Stewart playing the uh, character that uh, Tom Hanks plays. And in that scenario, yeah, it was one of his earlier films, you know, so this was pre-war era and Jimmy was lankier then and younger then. It starred Frank Morgan, who played the wizard in The Wizard of Oz with Judy Garland. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. uh, He was originally the shop owner and Jimmy, his name was Alfred. He was a uh, a very competitive clerk in the company, and uh, another woman, Clara, was the, his competition, and they were both vying for the shop owner's attention and respect. And then they didn't know it, but they were pen pals, and uh, but in you know face to face, they were just you know riffing off of each other and didn't like each other, kind of like. Leia and Han or something, you know, they just didn't like <laughs> right. each other in the company. And then one day um, they plan to meet face to face and Jimmy discovers that the person he can't stand at work is the woman of his dreams. And it sounds very familiar. Yeah. But the, the shop wasn't a bookstore and then, um, but there were many other things that were, that just feel very true to the forties and the way that, Hollywood stories were exploring themes for romantic comedies. Then it it does not feel like a modern film in any way. And some of the uh, dialogue heavy stuff is not bad, but maybe off putting and difficult to appreciate. But if you have an appreciation for older films and in general, then you should see it. It's good. And um, there are some very eloquent lines, and Jimmy gives a good performance. It was one of his best for the first part of his career. I want. I kind of want to see that now. And like, like I said, it's the movie's named "The Shop Around the Corner," um, which was the basis for the name of the bookstore. Um, right. I do. I do find that interesting. But for the most part, the screenplay was completely rewritten for the "You've Got Mail" story. Yeah, I do yeah. like the way that they incorporated uh, email and yeah, and messaging. The way that their laptops were on their desk and flung on the bed, and they were plugging in Ethernet, or was it uh, <laughs> actually they were plugging in dial-up? Dial-up. I was gonna say phone Woo-hoo! modems. You know. Um, yeah, that was so fun. Um, yeah, yeah. It it it, uh, it was interesting because they definitely felt like computers and products of their time, and it was all very well. Of course, they did because they were ma- it was made at that time. You know, one of the interesting things about this film is I think that it does hold up really well, not because it doesn't look like a timeless film, but because it is meant to be of its time. 
And so it holds up well because you don't care that it looks like a late 90s film because it is and it's supposed to be in the late 90s. Like it just – it works on that level and it doesn't take you out of anything. Like I I imagine someday this film will be maybe more irrelevant to – and people won't want to watch it. But I can't imagine at this stage anybody saying, oh, I I don't like that film. It didn't hold up well. You know, I just can't imagine that. And it's uh, era, the 90s. If you think about something like Seinfeld, it was uh, going on during the 90s and – uh, a Seinfeld at times feels very dated and other times it really doesn't. And one way being like the, the, the clothes that they were wearing in New York and the hairstyles and yeah, sort of miraculously, this film doesn't have any of that going on. Every, everybody looks normal in this film. I <laughs> they, mean, they could it, be it in New York fine. today. Well, yeah. one of the, and one of the interesting things I noticed about New York is I, I've never actually been to New York city um, that I know of, maybe I was, maybe I feel like maybe when I was really young, but I, I, I don't remember it if I was. And so, but but so I always get representations of New York in film. And one thing I notice is that it feels like a much quieter and less bustly city than it is portrayed these days. Hmm. I don't know if that's accurate to the way New York was in the '90s, or that, or just the way the movie is. I don't know. How did did that strike you at all? It yes, and, and I guess it could have been because maybe the film wasn't altogether made in New York City. Uh, I don't know. I would could be. I would I would guess that if it didn't seem as crowded and if it didn't feel like the hustle and bustle of modern New York, it was because those scenes were filmed somewhere else like Chicago or LA. I don't know, but it, it, it in the film, they, they pull it off the, of the fantasy They make New York so romantic in a way. And oh, yeah. all the different kind of people there are just interesting. And you, you feel like you could bump to anybody on the street and they would have a, possibly a very good conversation with you just because you would discover something very intriguing about that person. And I I guess the reason that came to mind was because this film is a very lengthy series of vignettes. They, each one just has a great soundbite, makes a clever point and it happens in a location. And then when they leave the location, they got something else. Like one of the vignettes being like, a really small one would be the Starbucks, you know, and then another one, the elevator, you know, yeah. and then another one in the theater, you know, uh, they, they just got all that going for it. You know, you can just see these, these sketches back to so, back to back. Speaking of, of Starbucks, did you notice that Starbucks hasn't changed much in uh, almost 20 years? No, not much <laughs> at all. Even the coffee bags I yeah. saw in the background, they looked practically the same. They were selling Christmas blended coffee, and it was virtually the same as it is today. And the the big Fox super store, bookstore, whatever it is, it looked pretty much like a big, massive Barnes & Noble, you know? <laughs> uh, it does. And I actually like the way they designed the branding and the feel of the store at times it felt very real, even though it was not a real thing. It felt yeah. like it was a place that would exist. And I wonder, I guess it's probably not, but I even wonder, was it like a Barnes and Noble that was redressed? You know, you got to wonder because it, it looked like a real bookstore that you would see and, and you would still see. Um, you know, the, the, even though many bookstores are folding and becoming more, you know, not a thing. I mean, they're still around and there's probably to some extent always going to be because we're always going to have a need for books of some kind. And uh, yeah, it looked like a real place in the real world. It, it certainly did to the film's credit for sure. And the message about the rise of cheap books and, you know, lattes, 
that that Fox's point there when he was pitching how he was going to make big business with this, it, he was smart. <laughs> that was actually oh, yeah. true. That was actually happening. We we were seeing that with Barnes and Noble. And well, I and it's like it's like any <laughs> it's it's like any advancement. It, it, it doesn't come without its costs, and you know you have to be forward thinking and understand that. And and I think that one of the things the film doesn't really go into, but it certainly portrays, is that. Um, Kathleen was not very forward thinking. She just thought, well, I have my charms and I have my this and my that and it's going to be fine and I'm going to win because I'm a charming little thing. And like she wasn't she wasn't staying with the times and she wasn't moving, you know, and so technology and advancement is not without its costs. But uh, certainly the benefits of having all those books available to society outweigh all that. But but it's it's definitely a bittersweet thing. And I think this film definitely hits that nail right on that head. Well, at his heart. Joe was playing Monopoly. Of course. And Kathleen was a nurturer, you know, so, right. she, so she was vested in people. I think she, I think, I think that she was a daydreamer, uh, poetic, and she was a nurturer. So she was, her bookstore was practically a, a nursery for the soul. You know, people who could come in and have a little escapism, um, enjoy uh, a, uh, an escape with their fiction and the like. And feel good and walk out feeling warm inside. Whereas, you know, Joe wanted to, you know, make great deals and, you know, make lots of money and then buy fake vases made out of rubber. Well, I'll tell you, I even had the moment where uh, Joe buys the books and it's like $78, I think it was. Is that'll be $78. And, he, you know, he's not a he's a wealthy man, but he's like, <coughs> what? And, and I had the same reaction. Like I literally like I, I was like, <coughs> what? And I, I, was, I was thinking to myself, like and I even said to Rachel, my wife, I said, man, I want them to pan or, or show the books that he just bought so I can see what's worth $78 in books because I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. You're thinking about so the scene I, where he had his his brother and his aunt with him at the store, or were you thinking about another one? Uh, yeah, where he had his aunt with him in the store. Yes. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, and then he buys yeah. the, he buys the books, and then he just says that'll be seventy something dollars. You're right. Like, oh. There's a few there's a few scenes where the they are cut cleverly to actually not show you props or others in the environment that are obviously being referred to off camera. That was one of them. One of them that I noticed was the first time that Kathleen opens up the shop. She is holding the door open for a mother with a few kids. And she is talking to them. She's looking down at the kids. She's holding the door. They come in. You see the mom's head. But you don't actually see the kids. They may not have been there at all. <laughs> and, 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 and it's just cut in such a way that you you see they're, assume they're just below the, the view of the camera. They're making good use of the budget. Yeah, yeah. Cleverness. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's this film feels so uh, quintessentially 90s. It's it's and I I don't know how to put my finger on it, but there's several of these late 90s films that I just, you know, you can just kind of pick them out right from you can look at them, you can look at the, the like the film grain, the way the music is used, the way the story goes and you go, yep, that was late 90s and this is this is one of those films that fits right in that mold and it's great. I just I love it. There was a weird thing going on with Interior decorating. <laughs> Maybe that's part of it. Yeah, like Kathleen's apartment, the way that it was kind of country and Victorian 
Uh, <laughs> but then like, I don't know, something else. Uh, it was, it, yeah, it, it reminded me of my of the way my mom used to decorate her home. Yeah. Just, I don't know. It, it, it was definitely a product of the nineties. I, I agree. Yeah. I don't want my home to ever look like that, but it, no, it, looks, no, of course it not. looks cute for what it is. Yep. I'm a little bit more inclined to enjoy the apartment that Joe was in. But then it occurred to me later in the film, watching it this time, wait a minute, that's not Joe's apartment. That's his other girlfriend's apartment, the woman he's living with. Right. No, it was never it, it was never his um, uh, apartment. And and I feel like uh, Patricia, the, it was the, Patricia's. It was Patricia's apartment. I feel like the same thing happened with Kathleen, although they just didn't point it out very much. But I noticed like that she was in a different apartment when Joe came to visit her after she broke up with her boyfriend. Oh. Yeah, it was a it was a different set, completely different. I had not thought of that. So yeah. she so she was basically living with her boyfriend and Joe was basically living with his girlfriend. And then yeah, after yeah. they broke up, then they went back to their places. Okay, and Joe went back to the boat. At least I I could have that wrong. I I tried to look after I noticed it looked different like the bed was the bedroom was like everything was different. Makes so, sense. Yeah. Anyway, but it, it was just interesting. They were both they both moved out. Of, well, what we were it, talking about is right. world building, and that was yeah, one of the yeah, things yeah. I really enjoyed about the film is that a lot of films fail to make it feel like they're really in the big city that they say they're in. But yeah. apart from also convincing me that this was really New York City, they also they also did a great job of just presenting all these details in the background. And on the sets that made it look like there were interesting people in the room and interesting things were happening. Oh, oh um, speaking of the cleverness of things that you do not see, but you pres- you think you saw because of, of how the story is told. They, they keep on saying how the shop around the corner is just across the street from the new Fox bookstore. Mm-hmm. You never see that. There's never a shot. <laughs> That shows the relative position of the two places. So you're saying there wasn't a wide shot? Because I certainly got the feeling that it was right behind us when we were looking at the shop. I mean, they did a good job of cutting it together if, the, if it wasn't. Yeah, no. Th- there's not a shot that shows the two storefronts in the same frame. Interesting. Um, Joe, if you don't mind, I would like to talk about my very few little dislikes and then talk about more things that we love about this film because one of the things that frustrates me about the way we review films sometimes is we talk about all the things we love and then we talk about things we don't like and it makes it feel like we didn't like the film. Mm. So you um, want so I, a uh, you want a complaint sandwich? Yeah, sure. I, I don't have very many things okay. that I don't like about this film. Uh, one of them I already mentioned was the the kind of the way the film opened. I just I thought that was very odd and out of character with the rest of the film. In retrospect, um, I felt kind of conflicted about rooting for our protagonists and specifically rooting for them to get together when they were in relationships with other people. Mm. Uh, on some level, this feels like a really bad thing that they were both in these relationships and they were in, in, in at least some way. Uh, being unfaithful to these relationships and then, you know, they're having this relationship uh, that's obviously taking romantic turns online. It just felt a little odd. Mm-hmm. I, I felt a little conflicted about cheering for this relationship. <laughs> uh, on that note, that is one thing that feels a little rushed is the way that they resolve their old relationships to move on and make room for the potential real growing relationship that they might have. That when it gets to the point that it's time to get rid of what's his name, Frank and Patricia, 
the it feels like even though they they gave them enough time on screen, when it came time for Joe to get rid of Patricia and Kathleen with Frank, they rushed through that to be kind of like, okay, obviously we're not going to allow for our leading characters to have two boyfriends, two girlfriends. So <laughs> right <laughs> at that point, it's kind of like, okay, let's ditch, let's ditch the old ones like hot potatoes. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, I, I actually believed much more the, um, the, uh, what was Parker Posey's character, Patricia, uh, uh, Joe and Patricia breaking up. I believe that scenario much more than I believed, uh, the scenario that happened with Kathleen and Frank, which we want to, on some level, think that we can have these, uh, amicable, breakups in the world and we just decided we're not right for each other and whatever but that's not usually the way these things go and they both are just sitting there going yeah no i don't love you you don't love me that's great you have somebody oh that's wonderful you know <laughs> and, and it's just like no, i'm not buying that now now patricia and joe like for okay so th- this kind of brings me to the only other thing that i didn't like about this film which was that i don't believe i didn't believe and i didn't buy that joe and patricia could ever be together in any universe <laughs> like they just like she is at least the way parker posey plays this part she's just such an airheaded vapid and i just didn't buy that joe would be with her i just didn't buy it so i was able to buy the breakup just fine because you especially because of the elevator scene when this happens and 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 it's like he's looking at her and you know this other guy is like yeah i should have married that girl and she's like where's my tic tacs when i get out of here and it's like are you kidding (laughs) i love the line Uh, where joe is talking to his friend his his contractor guy and he's like patricia no no i love patricia Trisha makes coffee nervous. <laughs> and then, I he, quickly, that line and then he quickly moves on. <laughs> Patricia makes coffee nervous. <laughs> I missed that line somehow. I need to watch the film again now. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of co- great quips and, uh, and uh, the great little you know <laughs> spiel about the Godfather. Yeah, there was definitely a shtick about the Godfather in this film. What is it with Ben and the Mom, Godfather? They do they win? They... <laughs> it was yeah, good. It was pretty it was good. Way, it was, it was, good. Well it was good. And and I and I've gotten my dislikes out of the way. Did you have any you wanted to throw in the pile? Mm. I have honestly not given it too much thought. Ah, There's a few things see... I, I I don't care for personally, taste wise. Well, I wasn't too crazy about. Joe's father's wife. <laughs> I could have done well, without her character, but she was just distasteful. But she was proving a point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think again, some some of that stuff was just reminding Joe, I don't want to wind up like my dad. And so <laughs> he could see how that kind of thing would happen if he stayed with someone like Patricia or wound up with a second or third relation a relationship after Matri- Patricia. Uh, you know, in in that previous life, if he had just stayed on the course he would have been well he would have wound up just like his dad and his grandfather yeah you know it was very definitely very well made point and it worked very well in the film which is you you know basically his dad is a loser in in terms of the way he goes about relationships and treats women and stuff and you can see that where in some world where joe would head down that same path eventually because he obviously had just broken up with uh with Patricia and and so you the scene I love the scene where he's sitting there and his dad's talking about remember what's you mean the maid you know mean you mean my my uh, what was it my uh, 
The you nanny? know, and it, yeah, my nanny, and, and and oh yeah, was she your nanny? Oh, that's just there's irony for you, you know, and just like this whole thing, <laughs> and and you can see the realization dawning on Joe's face that this is not good, and I don't want this. <laughs> it it really it's it's great. <laughs> yeah, and so in the end, I, I think if I wanted to be extremely nitpicky, I, I could say that sometimes the soundtrack was a little bit too much in the foreground. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, this is this is part of that quintessential '90s thing going on where they use and and when you say soundtrack, I'm assuming you mean like I mean when I say soundtrack. We're not talking about the score, which is yeah. sort of there, and there's some score to this film, but mostly it's a lot of late '90s songs that I have no idea even what they are. Maybe they were written for this film. I don't know, but they feel like pop songs. Well, they're it's just like I, eh. I think they work in the film. They're kind of fun. They're, they're yeah. great in a way. In it, the way it happens, there is a pattern of consistency it's rhythmic with all of the the music that they present in the film from beginning to end they 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 keep popping up it makes the whole film kind of feel like one great big romantic comedy montage Mm. because it's this one thing right into the next um and with all of the music in this film but and, and again i don't really mind it the only thing i'm i'm saying is that it it happened that anytime the pop song came on it was always in the foreground, um, mm. and it kind of it kind of takes away from the film a little bit at times. But then it has its other charms. Um, I don't hear those songs anywhere else. It's, That's true. And, yeah. and and usually they were a little bit on the nose. The lyrics are <laughs> really like spelling out. This is what this scene is, folks. Hear it again. <laughs> it's true. It was. I can I, I can see why you wouldn't like that for sure. It, it wasn't that big a deal to me, but I, I get it. I, I don't have any other complaints. Okay, so shall we put the other side of the bread on the sandwich? Yeah, yeah. I really, I think the premise of this film really works super well. Like two people communicating anonymously, they kind of, you can tell that in the abstract, in this p- clean, pristine version that they're presenting to each other, they, they, you can, you can see why they like each other and you can see what's happening. And then when they hate each other in real life, like the, the premise just works so well. And then when I love when he finds out, he looks in the mirror window and it's her. And then he's just, you know, he's giving her a hard time. And, and then, you know, she's, she's got that line. You're, she starts, you know, finally able, she's able finally to have the comeback she wants. And it, she culminates by saying it's you're, you're nothing but a suit. And you can see like, it just, it just, he is stung by it so much in, in a way he wasn't expecting. And he's well, that's, that's my cue, you know, good night. And he takes off. Like I just, that scene is such a, a turn in the film that works so well for me. Um, yeah, I just love it. And, and the, you know, the hurt that Joe is feeling in that scene and the witty jabs that she's finally able to make. And then, you know, you can tell that he's so hurt by it. He doesn't know if he's going to continue this anonymous relationship with her and then you know she she's like i said these things and it was mean of me and i don't even know what came over me and i can't couldn't help myself and i'm you know i feel terrible and you can see then that he's it's almost like there's this turn in his head like what have i done you know yeah it was tugging at the heartstrings there when you saw how he was absorbing the blow and he wanted to make up for it and yeah he, he he made some honorable moves to grace graciously encourage Kathleen to uh, mature a little bit further, go, uh, you know, kind of, you know, realize if you wind up being the person who always says exactly the thing, the mean thing you want to say at the right time at the right place, then 
you'll just be full of regret. And it was, but he was patient with her. I I don't know. It was just like, it was a very delicate balance of, you know, wanting to let her be her own person and figure it out for herself, but also encourage his friend to do something that she wouldn't regret. Well, and again, the, the ending of this, this film is so like this whole, this whole transformation is so Elizabeth Bennett like, and, and then at the end of this, film you know she's like i wanted it to be you you know and and you it's the same sort of thing where it's like you know when when elizabeth says to mr darcy uh i've loved you for some time now uh and she's come to that realization like it's almost that same sort of transformation and it 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 tugs on the same heartstrings you know that for me Hmm. it's also i mean the movie does it several times it brings a pride and prejudice that's true it does the way it does with god the godfather um and (laughs) In that way, there are so many cultural references in this film. It doesn't mind lifting the ideas right out of the Pride and Prejudice. It doesn't mind making those comparisons. It's it's sort of like saying, yes, we know we're copying that. Isn't it amazing how we can pull yeah, this off? Yeah, look, look at me. Look at me do this. Look at how good <laughs> I am at doing it. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I love it. I love this film. I, I've definitely. I told Rachel. I think we're going to put this on our uh, Chris, add to the, add this to our Christmas uh, list of films that we watch every year. One of my favorite scenes, bringing up the music again, is the end. I I, I have a very soft spot for somewhere over the rainbow, mm, and it was yeah. just you know glorious the way they get together there at the park. Yep. Yep. And uh, and also. <sighs> I think it, they were trying to make it look like the beginning of spring. It was an early spring in New York City. For that scene, it was very green and lush. It was flowers and stuff like that. And it it just looked great. Made me want to visit New York City, not for the uh, winter season and uh, the holiday season, but for that time of the year. Yeah. So, Joe, I take it you're a fan of this film and you would recommend it. Yes. At least two and a half emails. <laughs> <laughs> two, two and a half email. Come on, give us a better, give us a better summation. Tran- translated into thinking. about three and a half stars. Okay. Yeah. It, it's just to me, it's, I don't know. Maybe I'm showing it more love and favoritism than the star power. It's really worth. But then again, I've seen, I don't know, my fair share of chick flicks. I've paid my dues and I don't like most of them. This is one of just a few I actually think is worth watching as often as you feel like. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, like I said, I'm going to add it to our Christmas list, but I wouldn't mind watching it at other times of the year. Although in real in reality, it probably will only get watched once a year. But I enjoyed this enough. I'm 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 putting it in four star territory, Joe. I I really enjoyed this film. It it hit a spot for me that I needed to hit. I I like to sit down and just enjoy a good film and a good story and get involved in the characters and it's it's rare like I feel like these sorts of films aren't being made anymore and so it was fun to sit down and watch a film that I had never seen before and get some of the same qualities that I enjoy in those films that aren't being made anymore but as if it was a new film for me. And I really enjoyed that and uh I, I'm definitely putting this in four out of five star territory. Like this is this is one I will continue to come back to and enjoy and watch. Uh, beautifully acted, well done, good chemistry, good directing, good use of set pieces, good use of small budget. I mean, all the stuff worked for me. The story works well for me. And I highly recommend this film. If you've never seen it or if you have seen it, revisit it. Um, it is really good. So that is that is my that is my recommendation. So we'll leave the listeners with this trivia question. 
And uh, I want to see if you know the answer, TJ. Uh, okay. Meg Ryan has a line. She says in practically everything that she ever performs. Ah. Do you know what the line is? I do not. She said it in the movie. And it's easy. I'm sure to gl- she did. Yeah, it's easy to gloss over. But if you're a Meg Ryan fan, you'll catch it. And I don't know where it got started. I, I, I just know of the line. I've, I've heard it many times in many films. I don't, but I don't know really why it matters so much. The line is, I've got to go. And she, hmm. she usually winds up saying it uh, somewhere near the, 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 the peak of the conflict, you know, of the end of Act 2, the beginning of Act 3, somewhere in there. And she says it here to Joe when she is planning to, you know, you know, leave him to go meet the mystery guy. And, uh, you know, he's saying at that point, you know, if things had been different, if you, we got to know each other in different circumstances, could we have hit it off? Um, hmm. And she says, you know, I've got to go. <laughs> and, and, and you can overlook it. But she says it in all the films. So interesting. Is this one of those quirks about Meg Ryan? Uh, well, there you go. All right, Joe, if uh, people want to continue the conversation about this wonderful and lovely film uh, with you, where, where might they do that at? Catch up with me on Twitter. I'm there every day. I am JCS Darnell. All right. And you can do the same with me. I am TJ Draper Pro. And Night Owl, uh, .fm, the website, the podcast network that, the, that is the home to this podcast retake, has a Twitter account as well, and we would love for you to follow it. It is Night Owl FM, and uh, we would love for you to take some time out of your busy schedule to go give us a star rating in the iTunes Store. If you look up Retake for uh, in the iTunes Store and give us a star rating, that would be wonderful. Preferably all five of the stars. That would be great, and that helps us out a lot. Thanks so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at nightowl.fm slash retake slash 12 because this is our 12th episode. So go there and do that. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you and we'll talk to you later. Good night, Joe. Good night, TJ. Somewhere